0: I doubt that there's ever been a year in astronomy where things became more simplified in such a short period of time. I mean, CMOS is going to be, it is the future. I mean, there's no denying it at this point. It is the future. I mean, ZWO, you know, you hear that name all the time now in amateur astronomy. They uh, they make the CMOS cameras and um, they put out their own called the AS, you know, their cameras are called ASI cameras and they make one called the ASI Air. And now they just released ASI Air Pro. But these things have taken off because people are driving their cameras and filter wheel and everything with this little box, this tiny little box that can just ride on top of the telescope.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to 2020. I hope all of you had a great 2019 as well as a good holiday season. And in this episode, Dustin and I sat down to take a look back at the year 2019 and discuss the state of the hobby of amateur astronomy. 2019 has been a very good year for Space Junk Podcast, and we are looking forward to a great 2020. So, let's get started. Hello everyone and welcome to Space Junk, a weekly podcast dedicated to the amazing hobby of amateur astronomy. Each week, we'll bring you interesting and fun discussions with an eye towards providing you with the latest information and advice on the tools, gadgets, software, and techniques for maximizing your enjoyment of the night sky. Your hosts are Tony Darnell from DeepAstronomy.Space and Dustin Gibson from OPT Telescopes, a world leader in telescopes and accessories.
0: Well, let's kick this off, man. We're talking about uh, 2019, and this is really the last few hours to do that. It
1: really is, yeah. I mean, here we are. It's about uh, 7 o'clock my time, three hours early your time. So, yeah, we're running out of 2019 pretty quick.
0: Yeah, and it's been a really good year, especially for astronomy, um, amateur astronomy, especially, right? I mean, there is it's it's changed in a lot of ways in a single year. You mean the hobby or the equipment, or you know, what do you mean by that? The equipment and just what's available a year later, and what's becoming really you know popularized now is you know it's the rise of the Raspberry Pi right now. You know, the Raspberry Pi three became a huge thing for amateur astronomy having to, you know, just have this $150 box that comes with software preloaded and you know a couple of different companies have done it. But instead of carrying a laptop into the field, you've got this little Raspberry Pi and it connects all your equipment and drives your mount and you know really does everything for you and eliminates a lot of the cable management and other issues. It's been a a, a very good addition to amateur astronomy.
1: Now, the Raspberry Pi has been around quite a while for hobbyists. These are people who, it's just a little, in case you don't know what it is, it's just a little, uh, I don't know, two-inch by three-inch computer, complete computer on a little tiny board that has, you right. know, Ethernet and video driver, all that stuff, uh, as you know, all built in. Now, are you saying that, you know, it's this has gone beyond just a hobbyist building their own computer uh, control for their telescopes that actually comp- that companies are taking these raspberry Pi's and incorporating them in their products
0: right exactly yeah so there's oh, one okay. that's called the stellar mate for instance that comes with k-star software on it and i mean this is full automation software right and so for for 150 bucks people are getting full automation software as well as the computer that drives it it's got the usb hub built in takes almost no power you know and this thing is tiny it's like the size of a cell phone so it's just um, kind of a complete system for driving your mount, your camera, filter wheel. I mean, this thing can control a dome, so it really solves a what, lot of problems.
1: What kind of horsepower is on there? I'm thinking about, you know, on the fly image processing. Is there enough to do all of the what you just mentioned, dome control and all of that, and do some like, I don't know, dark subtraction on the fly, that kind of thing? Or is it, is that needing something else
0: no yeah it's not i mean it's not going to be a it's not going to compete with like a a real laptop or you know a desktop computer it has just enough to get the job done to drive the equipment and so and even that i mean depending on you know certain cameras we found the really really high-res cameras struggled on the raspberry pi 3 and so we actually actually had to put some of it on raspberry pi 4s to get them to work but um but just the idea that if you just want To get your stuff working you don't want to carry out you know or buy a bunch of software packages for automation and you know telescope control and everything else it's a good way for people to get into it and have um you know an option that that isn't super expensive there's there's still no substitute right now for you know especially for things like observe if you're going to have a remote observatory this isn't really what you'd want to throw in there but for just something you want to bring out into the field with you and you don't want to have a lot of hassle and setup, or having to power a laptop all night. I mean, it's a, it's a really good way to do it.
1: Yeah, especially with the power consumption being low, that turns out to be an issue as you add all of these things onto your telescope, too. Before you know it, you're pulling some pretty serious amps. So it's nice to have something that doesn't, so. Yeah. 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 And it's
0: become so popular. I mean, ZWO, you know, you hear that name all the time in amateur astronomy. They, uh, they make the CMOS cameras and, um, they put out their own called the AS, you know, their cameras are called ASI cameras and they make one called the ASI air. And now they just released ASI air pro, but these things have taken off because people are driving their cameras and filter wheel and everything with this little box, this tiny little box that can just ride on top of the telescope. And it really simplifies it. And you know, I mean, that's, That's always the goal. The more you can simplify this stuff, the better. There's just so many variables already that I feel like trying to find solutions that make even something as simple as, hey, I can carry one less cord out with me or, you know, anything, anything you can do to simplify the process, I feel like is a win for the hobby.
1: Well, in the same way that capabilities are sort of climbing this exponential growth curve, maybe it's not exponential, but it's certainly a high growth curve. Uh, it seems to me like the ease of use has gone with a different slope, the opposite slope. It's gotten, everything has just gotten easier and easier and easier to use. Is 2019, and you're really well positioned to answer this question, do you think 2019 will go down as the the year that simplicity reigned or was it already there like in 2016? It was always simple because I don't know, man. I mean, I just got through using a Stellina. And I was imaging the Crab Nebula under a streetlight with a push of a button. That seemed pretty darn easy. So, what what's your thoughts on that? As far as you easy, know, that
0: is that is the exact right example, in my opinion. This Stellina, those things are flying off the shelf, and um, you know, it's an all in one, as you know, all in one uh-huh. package that does everything. I mean, you you don't have to know anything about it. You just it has one button on it. Yeah. You know, power. That's it. You turn it on and it starts kicking images to your cell phone or tablet or whatever. It does all, it does the tracking, the plate solving, you know, it gives you limited control. It really, the only thing you can control is like pointing it at the target and telling it, you know, to take exposures and when to stop. But for someone that just wants to jump in, have zero learning curve. I mean, you can have this thing up and running in five minutes, and yeah, get images. And in you're, deep ta- space. you're getting
1: images on your phone in ten. I mean, it's exactly. that. It's it's incredible. I could I could believe it. Yeah.
0: So when you talk about a year of simplicity, I don't. I doubt that there's ever been a year in astronomy where things became more simplified in such a short period of time. You know, I mean, look at all of the technology that progressed. I mean. The uh, Sony sensor that's in the new ZWO 6200 and the QHY 600. This is a 60 megapixel full frame sensor, starting at four thousand dollars. I mean, think about what that would have cost the scientific community ten years ago.
1: Yeah, yeah, sixty megapixel. It would have been on order of hundreds of thousands, if not more. Oh yeah, you're going into wavelengths. Yeah,
0: you're you're asking the government for grants at that point to try to get something. You know, that's going to, I mean, it's going to be so tremendously expensive. And now it's, it's a hobbyist camera, 60 megapixels. I mean, you better have a hell of a computer to store those files, Yeah, but, but 60 megapixels, it gives you versatility. That's never really been available because now think about how, mu- how many doors it opens. You can shoot wide and crop, which means you eliminate, eliminate a lot of the issues that come with like seeing right? You eliminate some of the seeing issues, not having to be at a super long focal length. You eliminate, uh, guiding issues. Obviously your tracking doesn't have to be as good if you're shooting wide and you've got the resolution to crop in and still see multiple targets in a single image. It's, it's really pretty incredible. And some of these cameras have, they still have very high frame rates, which means some of them, you know, especially this new QHY pro 600 Pro has the fiber optic capability to transfer your data, which means you can run these super high frame rates. And I mean, you could even shoot like planetary with this thing. You think about a full frame camera doing high frame rate photography with, you know, 60 megapixels. It's just, this was never possible. This kind of like, I mean, it really changes the way you approach the hobby because you don't have to spend fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 to be competitive. Even if you're wanting to take, you know, some of the best images in the world, you can do it now for, you know, a very small fraction of that.
1: Right. And I just want to clarify for some people who might be uh, wondering, you know, why that's so amazing is that with a 60 megapixel camera, the, the. If you just tried to do the old CCD bucket brigade of reading out the image, you know, where you just read the pixels out by rows and then by columns, uh, one column at a time, that would take you forever at 60 megapixels. However, these fiber optic setups uh, have, and CMOS in particular, one of the advantages of CMOS is it can do whole chunks of the chip at one time and read out these things very fast. So frame rates have always been slow on high resolution uh, sensors, but now, that's become as you, what would be, what is a typical frame rate for something like that? Do you know off the top of your head? Um,
0: well, it, it depends. Generally, you know, the smaller sensors have higher frame rates for obvious reason, right? I mean, it's pulling in less data yeah. that has to be transferred out. Right. The
1: transfer um, is very, very fast.
0: Right. But that's where CMOS has always performed so well. Generally people think of CMOS versus CCD. When it's long exposure, CCD generally wins. When it's short exposure, CMOS generally wins. And most things because sensors have gotten so good they're so sensitive everything is kind of shifting to cmos i mean a lot of the ccds that were available are now no longer going to be available moving forward and a lot of new cmos technology is coming out and you have a lot of new sensor options and people are going to be moving that direction but where cmos has always really really done well is for the people that want these super high frame rates you know uh to just pull in as much data as possible, you know, extremely fast for things like planetary where it's called uh, lucky imaging. You're going to take as many frames as you can in a short period of time, maybe 10,000 frames over a few minutes, but then throw away a huge chunk of them when the seeing was bad. And so what you're hoping is for the brief time in between the seeing stabilized for just that fraction of a second and you were able to get a bunch of frames in then you combine all those frames and you just throw out all the ones when the atmosphere above you was, you know, uh, not its best. Right. And CMOS just does that so incredibly well. And that's why I feel like being able to have a camera that now can do long exposure photography well, it can do the fast frame rate stuff, and you're getting a lot of real estate on the sensor for not a lot of money. I mean, a fraction of what many of the larger CCDs cost, it just, I mean, it changes the entire approach to the hobby. It really does.
1: You can just use one camera for a great many things instead of having specialized cameras for like, here's my planetary camera. This is my deep sky camera. This this is my wide field camera, right? Things like that.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing. Like one of my, so I use a, a CCD called the 5100 on one of my systems. I have a refractor in one of my observatories and this huge, I mean, it's like twice the size of full frame CCD chip. It's 50 megapixels. And, um, you know, it's like you said, the bucket brigade carrying out that data. It takes forever, so much mm-hmm. so that FLI uh, set the camera to read half of the sensor at a time. And it has two, basically two places where it reads out. So, when you get an image, at first, your your uncalibrated images look like two separate sensors next to each other because they were read out differently. And so, it, you know, you have some extra calibration to do and that sort of thing, which mm-hmm. in astronomy, you get very used to calibration files. You get well, now, even that's automatic now. Yeah. Even right. That right. That A lot of it fire. is. Yeah. But, um, you know, in order to get into one like this big CCD sensor in the, the whole idea was exactly what we're talking about. The versatility. I just thought if I have 50 megapixels and I want to shoot super long focal length, 50 megapixels, let's say I have seven micron pixels, I can bend double the pixel size and still have 12 and a half megapixels. And I can put this on a super long focal length scope, or I can shoot wide and just crop into the image. And I mean, even if I lose half the image, I'm still at 25 megapixels. So the idea was versatility, but you know, you have to when you put, get a bigger sensor everything gets bigger so now i've got to buy this huge filter wheel that's $3000 and <laughs> i have to buy you know my filters alone were $6000 for that the camera's $15000 and then everything starts to add up and then you realize there's not even an off axis guider at the time that i got it that was big enough it didn't have a big enough throughput to allow all the light to pass through so it would vignette my sensor so i had to go with a guide scope and you start making some of these compromises that have since been resolved. But um, you look at it and you're like, damn, I've got I've got 30 K into this one camera system for chasing down the idea of versatility. And then a year later, Sony's like, oh here you go guys. Here's a, you know, 60 megapixel, more resolution than what I've got out there. 60 megapixel sensor that's still full frame. And it's like, damn, I, I could have four of these things out there shooting at a time against this one CCD that I'm using. So it really, you know, looking back now, I mean, that wasn't available obviously when, when I went with this camera and I am still really glad that I have CCD because my exposures are so long, but looking at it now, it's a tough call for me, which way I'd rather go. What Do I want to stay with 45 minute exposures or is it better just to put multiple systems, say like four refractors with four, you know, CMOS chips, one shooting L, the other R, the other G, and the other B shoot all of the data at once and um, at a fraction of the price. And, you know, you're pulling down massive, massive data so quickly. Yeah. I'm
1: trying to think about what the disadvantage of that would be. I mean, you're looking at the same object. We already have really good registering software to put them together with. The optical tubes would be different. So any aberrations in one would get passed on to the final image. But I'm trying to think what would be the downside to that.
0: And I can't. I mean, a lot of people do it. look at the Firefly system. Yeah, you can definitely do it. It's just, I I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it (laughs) because I don't (laughs) want to shoot that many calibration files and flats and everything else that would go into it. Yeah, you but know, if one tube of,
1: has a lot of ghosting or a lot of, reflect, you know, internal reflections, not that you're going to put a crappy telescope up there with a lot of internal reflections, but one might have something like that. And then it would, then you'd want to do a, a, some kind of calibration image. But yeah, yeah I can't, well, I can't think of it. That's a really, yeah, I mean, that it, would be an a I mean, it would be system. A,
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. You'd have to have a massive supercomputer out there to process. <laughs> you, know, you got seven of these things running. But it's um, you know <laughs> just the idea. I guess what I'm saying is like, for the same money, I could see a lot of people going a direction like that. Now that there are options available, I still I have CCDs in all of my observatories currently, and I still really love CCD imaging because I really like long exposures. I like putting 30 minutes into an image and then seeing it pop up and it looks like a, you know, a finished image right out of the camera. It looks awesome, you know? And and I love that. And with CMOS, I just, the the images tend to get pretty noisy when you start pushing into those ranges, 30, 45 minutes, or even an hour. And for me, I'd still much rather do the long exposure than, you know, a thousand short exposures, but, uh, or I say short, shorter exposures, but, um, I could see that over the next few years, if it came this far in one year, then what does it look like next year and the year after? Yeah. I mean, CMOS is going to be, it is the future. I mean, there's no denying it at this point. It is the future.
1: It's all, its downfall's always been noise, but as you say, that's been improved quite a bit. Uh, and its strengths have always been readout speed uh, and um, uh, and the fact that, you know, the color is, is sort of inherent in the chips anyway. So... Yeah. 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 I see what you mean. I, 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 um, I think that the only, I'm trying to think what, I mean, this is a good question that I've, I would ask you as an amateur, uh, imager is what would be the advantage? Why do we need to take 45 minute exposures of anything anymore that uh, of most of the deep sky objects, certainly all of the Messier objects are bright enough that you could get an outstanding image by taking, I don't know, a hundred, uh, you know, one minute exposures. Uh, over mm-hmm. over. Uh, you know, one forty-five minute or one hundred minute exposure by itself. Uh, the only time you'd want to do the longer exposure lengths that it, that I can think of is that you are approaching the magnitude limit of your scope. You're trying to see something so faint in your, let's say, you have got a twenty-inch telescope, whatever it is, that you really can't see it unless you, unless you expose for. Forty-five minutes, and then you'd be adding a whole lot of forty-five minute exposures just to see the super faint object, whatever it might be, like a very distant galaxy or something. But I'm sure. uh, do, do you agree that that really couple... you, you could just just take a whole bunch of you know scatter shot one minute, two minute, five minute exposures, and and get just as good a result as a forty five minute exposure? I guess that's my question.
0: Sure, if you're willing to put in the time then yes. But what I've seen in practice is that it's not, um, it's not linear. It's not like, it's not one-to-one with, you know, like, so let's say you do a 10 minute exposure and then you do six hundred one second one second exposures. Ultimately stacking this, the six hundred one second one second exposures will not look identical to the 10 minute exposure. And so, because ultimately you yeah, that might be too short
1: just because you got a pretty noisy image there at one second, right? You end up stacking
0: all that noise, right? And I mean, you can, you can calibrate it out, but ultimately calibration doesn't mean you're getting rid of it. You know, ultimately you're throwing data away. You still are. There's no way around it. Like you're, you're not getting things better without adding signal. And the only way to add signal is to add time, um, and so if all other things being equal, right, if you're not changing quantum efficiency, you're not changing anything else, sensitivity, then you got to add time. Yeah. And so yeah. there's a couple practical reasons. I mean, let's let's just use that as an example, right? I'm going to do, um, let's say I'm going to do six 10-minute images. So six, uh, you know, one hour mm-hmm. of data either way. And so I've got my CCD that I can just crank out one hour exposures. So I'm going to have six of those images. Okay. And then the other one I'm going to do one minute images. So I'm going to have 60 of those, but these are 60 megapixels each. Do you want to deal with 60, 60 megapixel files first off? Like just from a practical standpoint, like do you want to have 60 of these massive files? You know how long that's going to take trying to just register and combine all of that. Like, that's a lot to deal
1: with. Yeah, but with. it's all automatic. So what do I care? I mean, if I can just uh, send that to my computer and have it have it do the registering and rotating, uh, de-rotating, then I think that would be, uh, you know, it's just computer time. It's just computer cycles. Sure, but,
0: sure. And most people, in in most people, aren't even doing you know that full like uh you know a minute i've seen a lot of people doing 30 second exposures but still 60 of these things it's going to be huge yeah huge files data. that you're working with to get to a final image and you're going to fill up every hard drive you have and every hard drive you can possibly buy like you're going to sync amazon's stock trying to buy up all these hard drives to just store your data if you're doing one second exposures and you're just 600 of them i got 10 minutes, guys like cool Cool, you got you know ten terabytes of data sitting here to get one image. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I'm you know.
1: Yeah, I see that. That's definitely a problem. But I guess I'm thinking about if I don't have a polar aligned telescope, or if, you know, if all I've got's an altaz telescope, I'm limited anyway to a two or three minute exposure time before the field starts to rotate on me. So, I, I, I guess uh, for some situations, you really are forced into shorter exposure times for very dim and faint objects. So. Um I guess that's where I was coming from with that but I wanted to give, you know, heart to that those people can they, who can sure. do those because I with the with automated processing that's out there you really can uh approach the same results uh as a long exposure photo uh, 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 image that was taken say of 45 minutes long because you're also you need to get that 45 minute exposure you need one hell of a mount that can guide rock solid uh, so that you don't end up with ovals and spheres for stars and things like that,
0: right? There, there are benefits to both sides, right? Like, I mean, we really didn't cover. So the the only reason isn't just because you want to have, you know, a fraction of the number of files. You know, obviously that's not that's not the hugest deal. No, hard no. drive space is easy to come by. Yeah, but it's um there's more to it. I mean, if you know you're going to be adding time, then on the other side of it, it's like, okay, in 45 minutes, a lot of things can go wrong. It's not just your tracking, but what about satellites, especially now? You don't have to um, look very far to see a lot of astronomers complaining about all the satellites that Elon Musk is launching into space. right? And so you can have satellites cross your image and now you've got more things to try to calibrate out and to um, correct for in post. And you can have the wind blow. You can have whatever happen. A lot can go wrong the longer the exposure. So there are a lot of reasons that people want to shoot shorter exposures. But ultimately, if you compare an image that's a 10-second exposure and an image that's a 30-minute exposure, the signal in the two is going to be wildly different. Right. Right. That's that's why you're comparing. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And so most of the time, like for me, part of the fun is seeing the images roll in and it's just not that exciting for me to watch a one minute exposure roll in in comparison to a 45 <laughs> minute exposure.
1: You've got to hold your you attention, know. right?
0: <laughs> yeah. That 45 minute exposure comes in and you're just like, holy shit. <sighs> How is this possible? Look at what we're seeing. <laughs> yeah. And then that one minute exposure comes in and you're like, damn, if maybe if I stretch it and use my imagination, you know, like, it's kind if, of like observing I with eyepiece, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> if we just use our imagination, we can kind of see something. Yeah. But no, it's it's both. And you can really you can get I mean, there have been A pods taken with one minute exposures. Uh-huh. And that's true. One minute exposure stack. People are just like, well, I'm just going to do a hundred of them. And by all means, if that's, if that's your thing, go for it. You can definitely take some of the best images in the world that way. But for me, I'm still going to do the long exposures and just get all the signal I possibly can in each exposure.
1: Well, what do you think? So what else, what else happened in 2019 that you liked for the hobby?
0: Oh man. I mean, you know, here, um, (laughs) here at HQ, right? We, (laughs) It's, you really it's are. you like amateur astronomy about. HQ for sure. At Opt, <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's all we talk about all day, every day, and I feel like it has been such a whirlwind. It's been such a great year. I mean, everybody is just so amped all the time in this building because of all the things going on, and then even just the things we have going with the observatory project and future stars and mm-hmm. getting uh, telescopes in high schools. And then you know, obviously, this podcast. Like we really started to get our momentum in this, uh, this year, 2019. Oh yeah. This has
1: been a great that. year for us. I've really enjoyed the, the episodes we've had for sure.
0: And just the people we've had here through the building because of the podcast and just, um, you know, all of the different projects going on, you know, our pro services division, we've been talking to, you know, all of the, you know, the major universities and the projects they have going on. And we've had, you know, several reps from NASA and JPL in the building all the time. Actually, my team's going next week to see the, um, the Mars Rover, at jpl before they send that thing to mars man. yeah
1: they did see the test drive of that thing it's awesome yeah
0: it's be yeah it's there for another week or so and um they're gonna go check it out next week but you know it's just constantly stuff like that i mean it's the right time to be interested in space and just what's happening it's so much going on all the time
1: yeah, I mean, I've said so many times that it's it's become cliche, but it really is a golden age of of astronomy we live in now because of all, so many things that have converged, whether it's technologies or or uh, algorithms, uh, modeling that we were able to do com- with computing processes. I mean, what we know about the universe has just it's never been at this good ever. Um, not certainly not during Hubble's time. Uh, percival lowell you know uh, william herschel isaac newton go all back as far as you want it's never been this good yeah you were friends with, with all of them been. right yeah yeah they
0: were yeah you were close <laughs> yeah yeah me yeah. and Jim,
1: we and uh uh herschel we hung out together and uh yeah, isaac you newton's, called him newton yeah. isaac newton's a dick though i i can't hang out with him he's, well, uh, he's what's, up, Newt? My yeah. <laughs> what's up new house yeah what's up newton <laughs>
0: Yeah, I knew you what guys I'm were mad. boys. <laughs> yeah.
1: You mad, bro? You mad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't get Newton and Einstein in the same room together. They will go at it. I mean, it is not yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, So
0: yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> God, the jokes are so just just really, filthy, nerdy, well, man. You
1: brought it up, man. I mean
0: <laughs> <laughs> just disgusting. You, you,
1: you want to get nerd humor out of your guy. <laughs> yeah,
0: you are. Yes. You absolutely are. It's been, uh, it has been a phenomenal year. I mean, look at the triad filter. That thing has brought, I mean, it. at least here we're seeing color cameras. We are, I mean, it's, it's one-to-one. Like we, we sell a color camera every time we sell a monochrome camera anymore, I feel like, and that was not the case. I mean, as you know, astronomers did not like color cameras. Right. At all. Are we noisy, like, why am I why? giving up 75% of my data? Why am I doing that to this They're Bayer noisy. matrix? And, yeah, and they you, can be. And you, and you can't
1: get the, you can't get uh, a good, the quant, w- w- between the quantum efficiencies and calibration curves, those pixels, the flux that hits those p- pixels needs to be quantified. And it's hard with a CMOS camera. When you got all this bare bullshit in front of you, you know, yeah, you need, yeah. you need that stuff gone. That's why. But
0: now with the triad filter, people are just doing longer exposures. And, you know, if you've got this four nanometer HA S203 and H beta sitting in front of it. And it's like, sure, you're giving up a lot of, you're giving up a lot of data. It's true. Cause you still have a color camera, but your signal is so good that through the camera, now you're seeing nebulae in damn near real time and it's amazing. And so it's a fun process, but I mean, those things have just completely taken over, you know, for in- today, We, uh, I went back to the ops manager and was sitting back there, and we had the four. We had four of them roll in again today. Come in just about every day. We had four roll in, and it was literally minutes, like maybe two and a half minutes. Those four were back out the door, you know. And it's just like, well, you know, but it's just changed the way that like that type of color imaging is done, and something really cool that people started doing with them is essentially like the you know uh, video astronomy. It's something you were talking about here. That you thought was a good, uh, mm-hmm. a good way to do public outreach yep. because you can have everybody, you don't have to refocus anything. Everybody can see it on a screen, but you can just run like video, but imagine running video astronomy in like narrow band where you can yeah. really see this stuff in high signal. And people are doing that at star parties now and the results are absolutely spectacular. What are they, what
1: are they using to do that with What kind of, what kind of cameras?
0: Uh, most people are buying either the Starlight Express or the Attic cameras um, because they they do you know um, stacking. So they'll do live stacking, right. and so they just stack these images live in front of people, and you can just sit there and watch, kind of like what the Stellina does. Right, you watch the image just grow on the screen, and it's such an incredible process. Just every you know ten or twenty seconds, you see the image just building in front of you, and when you're talking about, you know, a nebula or, or something like that, or even, you know, the Andromeda galaxy has enough uh, nebulosity in it that, you know, you can see that really well. And being able to do that, you know, with any emission nebula is really a pretty phenomenal experience. Yeah,
1: yeah, it really is. And, you know, while we're on the topic of these uh, filters, I got to say that, you know, for me, 2019, what 2019 meant to me is that this was the year. Where I started to finally see the beginning of the end of visual astronomy, and here's here's what I mean by that. If you'll recall, our very first episode was about which, you know which was better, visual observing or imaging, and we you know we so we've talked about this many times ever since we've started this podcast, and I've always come down on the side that well wait a minute, there's a place for sitting behind an eyepiece. And viewing the heavens directly, you know, having your eyeball right there getting that direct connection to the cosmos. But this year, I have two things have happened. First of all, I've noticed that the night skies have gotten so uh, cut off from me, and I live in the country uh, that, but I, it, with a street light that I have nearby, which I you know can turn off and on at my leisure, but the the surrounding uh, light domes that you see from cities are getting brighter, and I've noticed that wherever I go, the night sky is is more and more cut off from me. And I am going to predict, based on what not just the the trends of the night sky disappearing with light pollution, uh, but also with the advent of scopes like the Stelina and the EV scope that's coming out from SETI, that these uh, the days behind the eyepiece are numbered i don't i think that it'll in in 10, 5 years but pro, but for sure 10 years this is a prediction i'm going to make visual observing with an eyepiece is going to be obsolete unless you're looking at the moon or jupiter and saturn because our night sky has just disappeared so i when i took that stellina out and i took my phone out and i and i saw the crab nebula in a way that I could never have seen behind an eyepiece under really dark skies and a really nice Nagler eyepiece. Uh, and I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing? This is it. This is how observing is going to be done. Now, Galactic Hunters did a video on their, their Stellina review, and they said that it, they asked the question, is this the future of of imaging? And I uh, they, they sort of left it open ended. They didn't actually answer the question, but I would say, no, it isn't. Because it can't replace image, imaging, but what it will replace, absolutely, I'm convinced of this now, is the eyepiece. And if I were Teleview or a company that makes eyepieces, I'd be thinking, wow, this is incredible. You know, what? what, what how can we compete with this? Because um, the night skies are disappearing and there's nothing we can do about it. And it's sad and it's it breaks my heart to say this because I, you know
0: me, I love sitting behind an eyepiece. But I think it's dying. I think that
1: part of the hobby is dying.
0: And yeah, and I don't know. I don't. I understand completely where you're coming from. And you know, I'm in. I'm an imager. Every time we ever argue about it, I take the side of imaging because that's that's my passion. That's what I love. And I love being able to see this stuff in as high resolution and detail as possible. Right. But there's something so uniquely human about staring up at the night sky yeah. with just the wonder and the awe. Right. And I don't know that. It will ever go away because it is it's almost a, an entirely different hobby. Yeah, you know, it really is like you visual? stare
1: up at in awe and wonder at something you can't see. I mean, you know, I know people, you know, in towns that can't even see all the stars of the Big Dipper. So it's just it's just it's criminal <laughs> yeah, what's you're... happening.
0: You remember uh, Jeremiah on the podcast said, "Man, I'm in Tampa. I can barely see the full moon." <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah. And that was one of the best quotes. Yeah, but, and it's tra- um,
1: it's it's tragic. It's sad that that's true. And what do you do about it? Well, what you do about it is these things you were just talking about. Triad filters are designed to block away all that all that crap, so that you can see. Yeah those wavelengths that matter and astronomers have been doing this since forever, but you know, so now what's going to be going through
0: people's it. head is why not just put a triad filter in front of an eyepiece, right? And, and what's your answer to them? If you can, if you have a manual setting on the exposure of your eyeball,
1: then <laughs> you should. Yep. You can't, you just, there's just, it's just yeah. too faint. You can't, your eye is not, what is your, what is the pupil? What is the diameter of a fully dilated pupil? It's like an iris. I mean, it's like, uh, what is it? A few millimeters, five or six millimeters. Um, yeah, yeah. That's just not enough aperture. You're not going to get very many. <laughs> I felt like you, you
0: were really, you were really asking me that question. Like that's something that I knew no, I was being rhetorical. <laughs> oh no, I got you here, man. I, I know this one. Um, no, 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 I was being rhetorical. Yeah. I
1: mean, it, yeah. you, just, you know, it's, it, I, I think it's about five. I think it's about a half a centimeter if you've got really big eyes. <laughs> so I, yeah. I don't know. It's not a lot, you're, right?
0: Your exposures are limited. So in your eyeball, your exposure is a 60th of a second, roughly. And, you know, you think about it, it's like if you could adjust that and you could do a one or a five or 10 second exposure with your eye, then, yeah, I mean, you could definitely use a filter and you could block out more of the things you don't want uh, and see more of the things you do. You could increase that signal. But because we can't, filtration doesn't work the same way that it does uh, with sensors as it does visually and it's unfortunate because there is something so amazing about being out under a night sky with a telescope and seeing this stuff especially for the first time the good news is the really bright things are the things that are most amazing to look at so you've always got the moon you're going to be able to see that no matter where you i mean you can see that from downtown new york city yeah you've got the planets those are plenty bright enough from anywhere Yep. And so you can see Saturn, you can see Jupiter, you know, you can see Venus and Mars, you can see that stuff. True. But what you're giving up is the the detail that you're going to see in M51, you know, the Whirlpool galaxy or Andromeda. You're giving that up. It's, it's already a faint fuzzy, but now when you get into these light polluted skies, it's just kind of, you can see a little bit of light and not a whole lot else from a really light polluted sky. And that's, that's a, that's a bummer. Because that stuff is, you know, knowing what it is you're seeing, seeing a galaxy that's two and a half million light years away through an eyepiece is is a pretty special experience. Oh yeah. And I
1: remember I'm the kind of guy that has always, when I used an eyepiece, I've always been a sort of, you know, a hunt and pet kind of guy. I would get my, I would sort of align the telescope tubes sort of where I want it to be. And then I would do these systematic scans through the eyepiece to find it. I did that in in your driveway. When you set up that 20 inch, we didn't have the clock drive plugged in. And I was just looking for the ring nebula and boom, that's how I found it. Uh there's a thrill every single time when that when that object zooms past the field of view. Go, oh, there it is. And and then you just go back and center it again. I love that uh feeling, but I yeah. I gotta say, I think those days are going away they're they're going the way of film (laughs) i have have to say it i just don't see it getting any better and yes of course in the desert everybody can do what they want but how many of us live out there almost nobody that's why there's clear skies so you know or dark skies and so i don't know i'm very pessimistic about the future of visual astronomy now that's what 2019 has done to me (laughs) that's Uh, what
0: 2019 (laughs) did for me that's right
1: well that was a big (laughs) milestone i mean it it, it, in one sense it's negative because of why i feel this way but on the other end i'm very there are here's what i'm excited about in 2020 i'm excited about you know maybe if it's not the stellina per se it's telescopes like it right now it's the iphone of this kind of telescope where you know it's very at the high end of a lot of people's um a lot of people's budget. So I doubt there'll be, you know, a lot of, you know, beginners buying it. But if as that price goes down and scopes like the EV scope, which I have yet to see, but I'm excited for.
0: I got to uh, check it out here. Yeah. We had one in the parking lot. Here. What did you think of it? Was that? It, it's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. So it's got it's, promise, yeah, right? <laughs> definitely. Definitely. But I mean, even the, um, the Stellina, I mean, you look at it, it's $4,000, right? Thirty nine right. ninety nine. You think about it. What did you buy for four thousand dollars? Well, you got your scope, you got your derotation, you got your mount, you got your tripod, you got your camera, you got everything. Yeah, yeah. That's what I said in my video. Software. software. I said all of that in my video. I said if
1: you, if you, by the time you add all of that up, you know, if if the things that you're going to buy individually, you've spent pretty close to to four to four k. But uh, it's not. There's still a. I, I don't know why, but I experienced when I posted that video in the comment section, there was a lot of blowback, a lot of pushback on that.
0: Oh man. Uh, yeah, you wanna get people some got hate. angry and I don't know. Post understand something why. about Stalina Yeah. The very first post I did about it, man, it was I couldn't believe the comments. You you'd have thought like I kicked somebody's dog, man. <laughs> yes I mean, Yeah. It's like what the hell? Yeah. Oh, like, and then it wasn't even just the comments section. People were taking the time to hit me with an unlimited number of "actuallys" and sending me these direct messages. Really? Just like, are you really looking to destroy astronomy? This thing is never going to replace imagers. And I was just like, man, this is. You think I made this product? Like, (laughs) first off, like. We are trying to supply the things that people want and that will drive interest in the hobby and help people be successful in the hobby and just get people excited about their universe around them. Like That's it. It's There's no bias here. I, if you love setting up your system and you want all of the individual componentry, by all means, so do I. That's what I do too. Yeah. But if you're just going on a camping trip with your family... Or you just want to have your kids run something that literally there's no learning curve to, or yourself. This is the right scope. You know, my uh, one of my accountants here took it out. She had never used any of our systems ever, took it out with her family, her and her son, um, set it up. And she was like, you know, in five minutes, check out what I got. And she had this insane shot of the dumbbell nebula. I know,
1: <laughs> like, I know. Do you, I think like, it, it blows you away. You're getting really hard objects. Uh, and you're getting them in minutes and on your phone. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, but that's simplicity. That's simplicity personified. And
0: and how is that a bad thing? That's what I, I don't understand. Yeah, Why I, is that upsetting to people?
1: It's and it's weird, isn't it? I mean, but I was people will find
0: w- a reason to argue for anything. They're like, well. I don't like cars that don't crank from the front because it's just better exercise to crank <laughs> yeah, that. I know. Out. Yeah. You know, well,
1: I, del- I deleted, I-, I left most of my comments up that were negative, but I-, I get rid of the rude ones, but I, I, uh, I, you know, I kept most of them up. I tried to respond. I'm still responding to a lot of them now, actually. But yeah, what I don't get is the anger. I don't get that. It's like, you know, people <laughs> just in, in all caps do not buy this, you know, and yeah, it's like, yeah. I don't, I don't get this. Um, why are you yeah. so angry? So it's
0: uh, <laughs> people get pissed. It's it's so good, but man, I, you know you get a lot of that anyway in social media. I'd say that ninety nine percent of the people that uh, that I talk to on Facebook and Instagram, you know that that stuff gets shared across a lot of different channels, and and so I end up getting a lot of messages on there. But um, almost all of it is just really positive, positive and there it start it sparks a lot of friendships because. You know, almost every post I do, I, I post something that uh, is meaningful to me about the image and something that it made me yeah, think yeah, about. In,
1: it's really worth subscribing, guys. If, no, if you're listening and not, you need to follow him. It's good stuff. It's Gibson Picks, right? We should just give it yeah, a plug.
0: Yeah, Gibson Picks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it it sparks a lot of thought-provoking conversations with smart people. You know, most everybody listening to this podcast right now, that's, that's what I love about astronomy is it just draws, you know, intellectuals to this, you know, you're not going to get into it if you're not thinking. And I love talking to people like that. So it's it's something that's really great because it draws people together and allows for those kind of conversations, which I feel like there aren't enough of in the world, but it does also prompt a lot of actuallys. And so for instance, I just made a post, (laughs) I just made a post and I said, uh, you know, this light had to travel over you know, a trillion miles a year. And it did that for a certain number of years to get here. And, and, you know, just going into the fact that we are able to see this and no humans before us, our ancestors were never able to see this stuff in this resolution. And I probably got 30 messages from people that literally started with, well, actually, you know, it's, <laughs> it's more than a trillion miles. And it's just like, like yeah. everything in me wants to just be like, that's why I use the word Over. Yeah, you know? I know. <laughs> but then they give me this number, and it's like, there's an, I don't even know the word for that number. I know nobody else does. How do you communicate this to people? Yeah. And I get it if it's like the goal is to see, like, how smart can I sound to everyone? But if the goal is to communicate something, don't use some obscure number that nobody's ever heard of yeah. that you don't even know is a number. Yeah. Right? I used to, I, I, when I did
1: uh, space, well, I still do space fan news, but when I'm doing it, I used to, uh, use the, uh, I used to use miles, you know, and, and all of that stuff, uh, just yeah. because I knew most of the people watching my videos were from the United States and they would instead <laughs> of kilometers. Correct. I use miles. Uh, and then I, you know, inevitably you know, I, I, you get, I get comments like, well, stopped watching because you didn't use metric system. I'm yeah. like, okay. <laughs>
0: stopped watching. <laughs> he did
1: literally. I stopped, stopped yeah. because you said yeah. it in miles and I go, okay, wow. Okay. Well, that's, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's, goodbye i guess you know i don't listen i don't care how
0: you use the word meter i don't care if it's a kilometer i don't care if it's a micrometer but god damn it you better say me
1: you better say what the metric system well i agree it's a better system but when i'm trying to communicate something to people who may not be as familiar with the metric system what do you do force them into it or do you try to do say things in a way that they might be able to visualize so
0: or do you just say who cares
1: who yeah. cares? Do you know yeah. what I'm
0: talking about?
1: Oh yeah, you learn that real like, fast on YouTube. It's like you, you got to stop
0: caring what people can say. Yeah, on do you do you get what we're talking about? We're talking about distance. Like if you get that, then, <laughs> it's a lot. And <laughs> we yeah, we achieved the goal until that broke apart because you didn't say meter. <laughs> Actually, yeah. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> and you can tell because it's like all caps, and you're just like this person hates me. Like there's a real <laughs> hatred here for this stellina post
1: yeah and i yeah so while i think and i think that's how you know you're on to something is the is the kind of vitriol because there was a period when iphones when iphones came out what was it 2004 or 5 something like that with the very first one it sucked right it wasn't as great as other phones that were out there and people were angry about the iphone it was like oh it doesn't have this doesn't have that i can't you know wipe my ass with it i can't do all these things but they they find you know, but it got better, and now look at it. You know, it's the uh, it's the the phone to have. People just well, like to the hate wealthiest company in the things. world,
0: right? They're what? the only company in the word with, world worth a trillion right now, aren't they? I, I know. know there were two others that were, <laughs> yeah. but I think everybody else fell off. Oh yeah, I think yeah. Apple's the only company worth a trillion dollars right now, yeah. and it's probably because they made such a bad product.
1: Right. I know. And so uh, when I look at the Stellina and, uh, you know, I see that level of change uh, with respect to amateur astronomy for every person, not everybody can be the, you know, galactic hunters or, you know, the people we've had, all the other really outstanding imagers that we've had on this podcast. But the Stellina at least gets them in that world in a way that I, I don't see anybody else being able to do. And I'll just say one more thing and that is about the the potential that excites me for it. The reason I don't I, I don't care about taking images. What I care about is sharing them with others. And this has, I think can also revolutionize star parties. So I'm really anxious to try this out in a crowd where everybody's got the app. You know, we're all deciding what we're going to do next and you know, what's the, what's the next object we're going to look at. Everybody gets it on their phone immediately and they can do whatever they want with that image. Come on. I mean come on man you know you know 10 minutes after you take the thing outside you're looking at the crab nebula i mean you know shut the hell up if you don't think that's amazing
0: yeah you know. well you know i i love it because this hobby above all others i feel like should absolutely embody the idea that this is about cooperation not competition yeah like yeah. like the especially visual astronomy you know when i see people posting <laughs> these <laughs> these posts about you know, well, you gotta, when you're a visual astronomer, you better start with a non-motorized scope. And they get, they get pissed off about it. Like, oh, you just jumped right in. You're a cheater. You jumped right into a go-to system. And I'm just like, you are competing about observation. Yeah. Like you are competing about looking at things (laughs) right now. Or, oh, I can use my averted vision. It's like, well, good what? for you, man. Like, can you hear yourself okay, right now woman. talking? It's yeah. <laughs> <Just> like, good <laughs> for it, man. <laughs> like, I am so proud of your averted vision, but yeah. you're I competing don't do with the world. Yeah. <laughs> you
1: know? How do we know it's so great? By the way, old man, how do we know your averted vision is so good? You know, I mean, you're yeah. you're, you're telling us, but how do we know?
0: Exactly. Yeah. And that's the yeah. other thing. It's like, I saw it. I swear I
1: saw it. And it's like, yeah. Yeah, treat it. Okay. Well,
0: that's that's yeah, well, here's my really image of
1: cool. M51. What do you got? Did your averted vision see this?
0: Yeah. yeah can you describe it to me from your averted vision? <laughs> yeah. Describe it to me so that. I can see it yeah. too, because your your vision's just much, much better than mine. And yeah, yeah I, so, so I, thanks for that. I aspire to get on your level, but you know, all the practice I'm doing, I'm just not getting better vision. I don't get it. I don't get it the competition is real though man you see some you see some uh some notes flying on social media of oh you're starting the yeah. wrong way you're such a cheater
1: yeah well you guys are on the hardcore front leading edge of all the hardcore observers right i mean you guys are right there with yeah. everybody who's the best of the best so you know i'm sure there's yeah. there's this friendly competition among imagers to you know do oh, well yeah. but everybody we've talked to has been very inclusive You know, from Trappessburg. You know, and to to
0: be honest, like, OPT doesn't really experience that. Like, we make a joke about it because we see it. We see it a lot on cloudy nights, and we see it a lot on social media, you know, flying around. But the truth is, we don't really experience that because... We we for the most part stay out of it. You know, we our mission is clear. We're trying to give as many people access to the universe as possible in whatever means necessary. I mean, that's why we're building all these observatories around the world. I mean, those are completely free to the public to use. Like it's hard to misconstrue that as anything other than, hey, we have a goal and we're making that goal very clear. And so if a Stellina is going to show people the Dumbbell Nebula that otherwise never would have been excited about it, we're supporting it.
1: Underneath Street
0: Light. I mean, let's, let's also exactly. make
1: this point. Underneath heavily light polluted skies. Exactly. that That's the difference here.
0: It um, so changes it all. We don't, you know, we don't really get bombarded with that stuff. I think most people, because our mission is so clear at this point, I feel like, people know what we're about. They know what we're trying to do. And so it's like, they could, they could try to slap us with it. Like, oh, you're doing this, you're supporting this, but it's like, it's a very simple response. It's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. We are. And it's in everything that we do. And if you have ideas on how we can do it better, like we're all in, but we are going to show as many people space as possible because we think it makes better people.
1: Well, Dustin. Okay, so we're getting close to the end of the podcast here, but before I leave this topic of 2019, what is your view of the state of the industry right now? The state of the both amateur and maybe the pro sector too, and maybe uh, as it was in 2019, and as you see it going forward in 2020.
0: Yeah. So um, we're we're pretty uniquely situated to be able to get like kind of a bird's eye view on on both sides of it and see how you know we have over a hundred different vendors and we we deal with. Pretty much everybody, everybody on both sides. And so we get to really kind of keep a pulse on things and, um, you know, assist where we can. But I think it's probably the healthiest it's ever been. On both, on both sides, honestly. I think the technology that's supporting the amateur side is bringing costs down and quality up, which you know is, I mean, that's where the real swings happen. That's where you start getting a lot of people into something and the quality of work just gets better and better, which creates this positive feedback loop. Better work gets more people excited. More people excited means more people involved. More people involved means healthier companies within the industry, which means more innovation and it's, it starts over. Right, so that that is a really, really good sign for things to come, and I think that ride will last a long time for the industry and for the people involved. And I think that anyone that's enjoying the hobby now has that to look forward to. It's only going to get better from here for a long time.
1: So, other obviously, obviously, there's lots of companies out there doing this work. Some of them are healthier than others. Uh, what do you think are the ones that are uh, the the what's the most healthy company versus say some of the ones that you might be a little bit worried about?
0: Um, I mean, like right now, for instance, Mead is a topic of discussion. Right. You know they, That was probably um, one of Me-
1: the darker spots of 2019, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was fairly recently that that was publicly announced. You know, Mead declared bankruptcy. And this, this happens, you know. Um, some of the decisions that come from ownership in different companies don't always lead companies in the direction that they should be going. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot to it. It's a very complex subject. I know Mead has put out public statements and I don't know enough. I'm not involved enough in it to speak to it, to say, hey, here's exactly what happened. Here's every email that was sent, all of that. You know, We're keeping a close eye on everything. I've talked directly with um, the CEO over there quite a bit. And I know that his focus is 100% just taking care of the Mead customer. And, and that's what he keeps assuring me, look. Mead's not going anywhere. Uh, We are going to take care of our customer. And so in the limited, you know, conversations I've had about this subject, um, it's been a very positive thing. And for them, they're just saying, you know, this is obviously a huge setback, but Mead won't be going anywhere. And he's assured me that, you know, Mead customers will be well taken care of and that they're still looking to innovate. They've still got their engineers. They're still pushing forward. And, um, you know, they haven't had like huge, uh, they haven't let go, like, you know, their people or anything like that. So, oh, that's uh, really you know, news. we'll, we'll see where it goes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cause I got a, you know, I've got a soft spot for the LX 200 that I spent most of the mid nineties with mine and I, I love the company and I, the, the, the telescope was, was outstanding. So I'm glad to hear that.
0: Yeah. They're not it's, just, it's been you know, a cornerstone collapsing. in the industry. Yeah. It's been a cornerstone in the industry for a very long time. You know, most of the universities for, you know, a decade were putting Meade telescopes in their That's right. That's right. observatories. And so there's still a lot of them there, you know, and Meade has a, a very strong past in the industry. And, um, you know, and, 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 and I can honestly say that in talking to him, he's, he sounds very confident. He sounds like, Hey, this is a hit, but companies take hits and yeah, yeah. we'll just we'll see where it goes. They're, they're gonna do everything they can and they're gonna fight their way out of it according to him. Again, I, I can't speak too much to it because I'm not involved and I don't want to say that I know more than I do. The truth is, I know very little. Basically, I know what I've just told you.
1: Right. So I just yeah, I don't want to put you on the spot with any anything further. I just was curious what you had uh, what you had learned about that situation. And well, let's look at the flip side then. what what company or companies? are you the most excited about what are you who's on fire right now?
0: It's most of the industry. Um, you know, we everybody's see everybody's on fire the entire, uh, the entire, yeah, yeah, you should, um, you should see the halls here at OPT, you know, from, from opening hours until everybody leaves for the day. It's just, it's like wall street, you know, everybody just running around <laughs> <laughs> catching up, you know, we've, we've got, uh, um, thousands and thousands of additional boxes going out you know last year was the biggest year ever and this year was several thousand more boxes went out than last year so it's just things are things are uh, very very good things are very healthy in the industry and you've got brands that are just really because things are so strong they're cranking out this innovation that's just i mean it's damn near magical look at like the l mount from plane wave for instance that thing has become so popular it's direct drive um you know it's relatively small i mean for an observatory mount this thing is just incredible and and they fly like these kind of products fly because People crave that innovation. They want something new. They want something that is really that top end. And you've got companies doing that. And then on the other side of it, you've got companies like ZWO and QHY and Attic and and others that are putting out cameras that 10 years ago couldn't have existed and doing it for prices that people can afford to get into and really put out insane work. So it's just a good thing. And then on the other side of it, you've got the professionals who. You know, we've talked about this before, but a lot of uh, professional budgets, when they start putting together some of these mega observatory projects, the giant Magellan telescope was, what, a billion dollars plus. You know, we're having a lot of the universities contact us. And so they'll tell us instead, you know, hey, we've got a $20 million budget for this project, but we want to use everything that's, we want to use COTS products, we want to use consumer off-the-shelf products for this because we're gonna do wide field surveys. And instead of building one big telescope, we're gonna build a hundred and we're gonna link them with this supercomputer we built. And, you know, we're gonna pull all that data in and process it and we're gonna get everything we need using a hundred telescopes as if they were one. Yeah, And it's really, it's really amazing that things are able to be done that now, not because, not just because the cameras and the mounts and the telescopes have gotten so good, but that the computers are able to do it now all of these all of this equipment
1: all of these innovations from computing power to data transfer speeds to uh, you know processing power on cameras uh, and telescopes and was, as well as detector technology all of this stuff has trickled down over the years from the professional sector to the point where I think this is why amateur the whole amateur astronomy market is exploding is that these th- people are doing these things now because they can. For the first time in history, we can measure drops in a brightness of a star on the order of less than a percent in from the ground. And that's because of these innovations that have happened from infrared and uh, optical technologies that have come from the professional realm for the past 20 years. And it's finally coming down here to amateur astronomy. So and, and universities are teaching this stuff in their classrooms because they can. They can actually assign a lab that says, go out and tell me and, and calculate the size of the exoplanets around TRAPPIST-1. And they go out and that's an exercise in their lab. They can do that. So um, this stuff is really complicated. Things have come down to the just every person and which brings right. us to this golden age business because we can all it just do it makes now.
0: everything possible it makes so That's many right. more things possible too i mean you know from from your time uh in the professional space going after government money is hard it's a yeah. real challenge and it's not always guaranteed you know you the more you're going after the less likely it becomes and yeah. so when you were used to having to ask for 200 million and now all of a sudden your next project you are asking for 20 million the chances of it being a success of actually getting the money go up exponentially, mm. and so people are just getting projects left and right, and uh, it's a really good thing for the industry. It's a really good thing for science, and I think it's a really good thing for STEM, because the more this stuff that goes out, the the more likely it is that there's going to be something that catches somebody's interest or allows them to participate with citizen science, and that's all it takes is is one moment, as we we've, we've discussed many many times. All it takes is one moment to, to grab somebody's attention and to help them realize that this is now a very big part of their life. Astronomy grabs hold of you and just hangs on to you.
1: That's right. That's right. So here's, you know, with the ending of 2019, here's looking forward to a, an amazing new decade full of discovery and uh, an exploration that I think was going to nobody can can properly predict. <laughs> so right. I don't know, Dustin, I, I, I just want to say on a personal level, man, I've, I've this has been a great year uh, for me. I've enjoyed working with you. We've done some really fun things from going to New York to uh, going out to OPT, doing this podcast together, man. It's been a real adventure and I'm looking forward to 2020. As well. Oh, yeah. So. It's been
0: an absolute pleasure, man. <laughs> and it, it's good having you on the OP team. And uh, I'm sure there are many more Scotch nights to come. And 2020 is going to be a great year, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, I hope so. All right, buddy. Well, listen, man, happy new year. And uh, we'll look forward to talking soon.
0: Hey, happy new year.
1: All right. Well, on behalf of Dustin Gibson, I want to thank everybody so much for listening. I hope you guys have a great 2020 coming up. And I want to wish everybody a happy new year. And as always, keep looking up.